Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's time for the Negative Positives Podcast, coming to you live out of the Gutter Man Cave in beautiful Louisville, Kentucky. And now, here are your hosts, Andre Dominguez and Mike Gutterman. Hello and welcome to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode number 202. I'm your host, Mike Gutterman, coming to you from the Gutterman Cave. And it's a Sunday edition. We're back to, uh, you know, sort of the program as normally scheduled. So uh, just being a Sunday night, it means we have a guest. But first off, let's get to everyone's favorite co-captain of the podcast, Mr. Andre Dominguez. How are you doing tonight, Andre? I'm doing very well, Mike. Thank you very much. Awesome. And of course, our guest is one of our a recurring guests, or kind of our once a month uh, special guest. And uh, maybe we should start calling him a co a co pilot, or maybe a I don't know, maybe a, a cabin boy. Maybe that that would be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that would be Mr. M from Emulsive.org. How are you doing to, today, M? I'm doing very well, thank you very much. The exits are here, here, and here. <laughs> and with this program you might need to know where those exits at because at any time it, it might be an emergency so <laughs> but uh okay so uh yeah i guess um first thing we kind of want to get to it's the first segment we usually like to talk about what we've been up to this week and uh uh but i think the very first thing i want to get to M is um you'd mentioned something about the the tetanol uh situation that's kind of got everybody up in arms and i've seen some reports uh since they announced that they were closing that didn't like, didn't look as doom and gloom possibly. And I, I personally didn't feel like it was all doom and gloom. Cause I think there's probably enough chemical manufacturers out there to maybe make up for any loss of them or whatever, even though I know they were pretty pivotal to the photochemistry world and all, but maybe, uh, what, what do you know about the, the tetanol thing? What's your take on that? Well, the, the initial news that, uh, that came out of the, um, the German kind of, uh, what do you call them? German subsidiary news. Well, the, just just the, the the two German news sites um, that initially posted uh, details of the the official uh, entry into administration of tetanol Europe um, mm-hmm. was was it was pretty doom and gloom um, in the sense that the uh, employees of the 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 German headquarters had been informed that their jobs were gone. <clears throat> that production would be continuing until the 1st of April, and then that was going to be it. Um, At the time, there was no information as to the non-German subsidiaries, so uh, Poland or or Tetanol UK. And obviously, since since that initial news came out, there's now been um, uh, an updated press release, not from uh, Tetanol Europe, but from... Uh, a group calling themselves New Tetanol, who comprise of around about 60 employees, mostly centred within the the film chemistry um, side and the branding side of the business, who are saying that they are looking to to do a, a, a management uh, buyout, very very similar mm. to to what um, Harman Technology did with uh, the Ilford Photo portion of the former Ilford uh, company. Mm-hmm. Okay, and. 
so how 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 pivotal was tetanol? I mean, did, was they was it a situation where if they did cease to exist entirely, do you think? I mean, is it that that uh, chemical supplies would be cut short, even with a lot of other smaller chemical manufacturers, or is there other uh, in-house chemical manufacturers that can can do everything themselves that don't rely on tetanol? I would assume there is. So, the, there are to a degree. I mean, you have. You have to remember, I mean, tetanol have been around longer than Kodak. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been around for 172 years. And their business is today, um, although if you look on the tetanol website, you may see a whole bunch of other uh, non-film-related products. You may see papers, you may see chemistry, you may see um, some films. The 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 business um, f- as it relates to film photography, as it relates to analog photography, um, is as I understand it, and and I stand to be corrected. Um, it's it's one of the only organisations that has the breadth um, to be able to produce <clears throat> a wide variety of uh, not only. Uh, chemistry that is ready for consumer consumption, but also products which form the basis for other chemistries. So I, mm. I understand that um, outside of uh, outside of the US, um, they are the pretty much one of the only businesses able to make the um, color developing agents for um, uh, Eastman Kodak's motion picture film, for example. Mm. Okay, so. Um, Whilst you could say, well, tetanol going going completely bust, you know, in, in this, you know, 100% nuclear auction, if tetanol were to go completely bust, oh, yeah, we'd, we'd lose uh, tetanol C1, uh, C41, we'd lose tetanol um, E6 kits. But then you also lose the, the capacity in Europe for an organization to make chemistry for other companies, rebrand that, get that out the door, mm-hmm. uh, to make component chemistries for other processes um we lose a certain element of paper manufacturing um and and paper output um as well as well as a whole bunch of other ancillary services um Mm -hmm. you know the the eu is very very highly regulated when it comes to um pretty much everything labor law Mm -hmm. or um uh, chemical handling or food production or or whatever (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and if you if you want to um produce uh hazardous or volatile chemicals you need to jump through um various regulation hoops you need to pay for um assessments it's it's kind of a kind of similar to what you have to do with the fcc so if you if you have a product and you want to get that um uh assessed by the fcc and you want to you want to get an fcc stamp on that you're going to need to pay for about, I don't know, eight, ten thousand US dollars worth of testing per product. Mm-hmm. Um, so imagine that, <clears throat> imagine that that kind of regulation, but chemistry and and probably somewhere in the re- in, in in the region of a hundred uh, times, uh, fifty to a hundred times more expensive. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, because I know that. Uh, uh, I know, I believe Ilford does as well, but I know Kodak, uh, it used to be when I would buy their chemistry, it would be uh, made in USA or whatever. So I assume that at that time Kodak was making it in-house. Uh, but now when I buy Kodak chemistry, when I buy like HC110, it's now uh, labeled made in Germany. I'm assuming Tetanol makes that for them. I, I believe they kind of uh, contract their chemicals out to Tetanol now. But I would also assume that Kodak could find someone else um, to make their their chemicals uh, if, if uh, Tetanol was to fail. But because, uh, I mean, they have the... I guess the ability they have the uh, 
the recipes, you know. So, but I, to yeah. me, I, I, not how it would affect Europe, though. I don't know. I know, like with the C41 kits, I get the the FPP uh, C41 kit. It's made by um, Unicolor up in Michigan. So, uh, I don't know how much it would affect the United States as far as that kind of thing goes. But uh, I'm not sure. I understand. Previously, um, Kodak were only using tetanol for uh, European production and, um, well, sorry, uh, EMEA production, so um, Europe, Middle East, um, Asia, and Africa. Mm. And um, I understood that they were still um, producing chemistry for the Americas in the Americas. But, yeah, as, as you say, the a lot of the H, uh, HC110 stock, specifically in, in the U.S., um, is coming out as made in Germany. So mm-hmm. I, I guess there's a couple of things here. I think uh, an organization that is as big as Kodak, and although Kodak may only be a tenth of their original size 15, 20 years ago, they're, they're still a huge company. So mm-hmm. um, it would be surprising if a company like Kodak didn't have um, stockpile or didn't have uh, product in reserve to deal with supply chain issues like this. Mm-hmm. So I think in the short to midterm, I don't think there's anything <laughs> to worry um, there with those guys. However, longer term, um, it, it's it's very easy to say, oh, you can find somebody else to to go and do this. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of a lot of this infrastructure, a lot of this manufacturing resource um, has been has been lost with with this this global move to to digital technologies. You know, the, mm-hmm. we we don't live in in an, in a largely analog world anymore. So the number of companies that are able to do the kind of things that Tetanol does at scale, um, I think has been vastly diminished. Yeah, so yeah. I, I guess I'm not, I'm not really saying much apart from just reiterating the current situation, but my, my take on it is um, there may be a short-term blip whilst new Tetanol get their hands together, uh, get, get, their, get their stuff together, I was going to swear. Um, <laughs> I think I think it's um, I think it's highly likely that that the management buyout will succeed, and I think given given uh, Germany's labour laws and and the way that the EU operates, uh, as much you know any and as much support is going to be given to those guys to help um, create a business out of out of what's left. Um, so I, th- I, I think it's definitely going in the right direction as far as the management buyout is concerned. I think you can look at Ilford as a success story for taking a, an, an ailing um, kind of behemoth of a company and, and turning it into something a, a bit more agile and a bit more uh, responsive to kind of market desire. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if Tetanol follow that same that same approach and if they if they if they manage to get funding and if they, if they continue their passion for, for the chemical side of the business as Ilford have done with theirs, then um, I, I think, yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a good thing. Um, yeah. Right, right now, I, I think it's really easy to talk about, to, to speculate about the doom and gloom and the horror of hmm. what's going to happen if they don't succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't see any value in, in focusing on that. Yeah. I, I, I think it, you look at it from the other point of view you can there's potentially stuff that all of us can do to help them whether it be to send an email to let them know hey you know guys good luck we're thinking about you mm-hmm. um or whether it be to to buy whatever remaining inventory of of, of their products that we would normally use um, yeah it's 
Well, I did know, like, I guess it was Sunny 16 uh, episode or so ago, they had uh, the, the uh, I guess, the Kodak Alaris, uh, the, I guess, the British uh, representative. What's it, Andy Church? Is that his name? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was on there. And there was kind of a question about, like, E6 processing and uh, about maybe what would happen if supply uh, chains kind of uh, was – and they weren't spe- specifically talking about tetanol, but uh, if Kodak would uh, – ensure that those things would be there for uh the future and all that and it he did sound uh, pretty reassuring that if uh supplies of needed uh, uh that we that photographers needed uh was uh coming to an end or getting hard to find that they kodak would make moves to step in and make sure that uh we had what we needed so i thought that was a pretty reassuring thing even though they weren't specifically talking about tetanol i kind of wondered if in the back of the, the conversation that's yeah. kind of what they were alluding to you know but uh, well, they, they they have addressed this before, and <clears throat> when 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 Exochrome was first announced, and and following on, I think until the early part of last year, a, a big part of the questions that they were getting was, well, Fuji are exiting the market. Um, Fuji are the only ones providing um, E6 chemistry on a lab scale. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you guys going to do? Because there's no point bringing a new film out if there's no way to develop it. Mm-hmm, and sure. they yeah. they have i think in the faq in the ectochrome faq on their website since the original announcement um when was that end of end of september um has stated that that um they are looking at options for uh, bringing back a, a a chemistry stack or, or whatever their terminology was um mm-hmm. for that so uh, it it makes sense it makes sense that they um that they wouldn't release a product that relies on one of their largest competitors who's exiting the industry in order to um, uh, complete a fundamental part of the process for that product. (laughs) Right, right, for sure. (laughs) And Andre, uh, you know, Cinestill, they're kind of in the chemical market now. How does this uh, affect Cinestill? Any any effect there? Have you got any any news on on, uh, the repercussions for Cinestill in this situation? So obviously, when I heard the news, I asked uh, the twins, you know, like, uh, am I still going to have a job in a few years? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe not in, in all such uh, dramatic terms. But yeah, no, I was curious as to the potential impact. And, you know, they they pretty much echoed a, a lot of what um, of what M was saying. They did, you know, mention the, the successful kind of turnaround that Ilford had uh, when when acquired by by Harman Technologies and uh, the fact that and pointed out the fact that you know all of the chemistry that that we use is you know produced in the US so uh, for the time being it doesn't seem like uh, you know it's really going to affect us or the other you know American chemical uh, manufacturing photographic chemical manufacturers uh, mm-hmm. much at all so um, yeah uh, full steam ahead I know that depending on kind of where you are and accessibility and price and shipping that uh, you know tetanol based chemicals may be the most convenient option for you so the only thing that I can kind of uh, say is, is you know sort of what M was saying you know support them uh, financially vote with your dollar or euro or or whatever is the currency <laughs> um and you know keep them uh in your thoughts and in your bank statements uh, as much as possible right right 
Yeah. So, um, so I mean, it basically, it sounds like uh, it's not all doom and gloom, folks. So I think we're uh, we'll just have to kind of see how it, how it plays out and hope the best for tetanol and and just assume that uh, you know we're not going to be uh, hurting for chemicals uh, as uh, as photographers in this film photography uh, obsession that we have so and that we share. So uh, it sounds like uh, just gotta, kinda, it's a little bit of wait and see, but it sounds more positive than what it, it sounded a couple uh, maybe a couple of days ago or so. But uh, and also I saw someone posted on the Facebook group. It looks like uh, I think it's Adox is starting uh, uh, chemical manufacturing. We're all in house under they kind of got a new facility where they've uh, got some new machine equipment ready to uh, kind of uh, produce uh, chemicals on a grander scale. I believe it was Adox. Did you guys see that that article? Yeah, I didn't. Myself, yeah, the, no. those those guys have been have been building out that um, that facility for years. Um, mm. I, I know they they've had a few. Um, construction-related problems and what have you, and and uh, yeah, I mean, adults are capable of producing the same chemistry as tetanol, um, mm-hmm. and I think with with the new facility um, in in as in potentially um, sizable quantities as well. I I, I know that uh, Mirko from Adox uh, recently commented that. Um, you know they're, they're they're doing what they can to help tetanol they they have a long-standing relationship with the company anyway mm. um they've had a, a gentleman's agreement uh, in place for some somewhere like 25 years to not compete with them on chemical production so adox mm. produce their own chemistry it's it's mostly black and white um they have the ability to make c41 um, worst case, if if everything kind of goes goes south for for tetanol, um, adox do have the ability to, to to pick back up. And and uh, from what I remember, the the plan with the the new factory, the new facility that uh, that that's um, I, I believe it's still in the final stages of, of completion is um, kind of a a unified location where they could develop uh, paper chemistry and film um just oh, wow. create all of those three products at the same time oh wow that's that's good news yeah if they get that accomplished it'd be a a good uh all in-house one-stop kind of thing that, that that's a that's a, that's positive right there for sure so yeah uh, and like and knowing knowing Merkel myself having spent about a week with him in germany at, at photokina sharing the booth with him he you know is is so much a, a proponent for the whole you know analog uh community and and you know helping other companies that i mean i i can't speak more highly of him and i'm sure that you know whatever whatever adox uh could do to to help tetanol they they would awesome awesome all right well i think we uh kind of covered that but uh so I guess uh, the next thing in this segment, we always like to get out what we did this week. So um, uh, other other than uh, reading the, the supposed doom and gloom news, what what all do we get accomplished <laughs> this week? So uh, Andre, we used to start with you. Uh, how about you, how about your week? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just yesterday, I went to my first beers and cameras LA uh, event since being back here. Uh, the previous one was uh, was obviously in the summer that I went to. I uh, went with um, Christine Bartolucci of the Analog Talk podcast and Chris Visser, uh, you know, fellow local film photographer, uh, and he also is is a podcaster, but does uh, 
non-photography related podcasting. Him and his wife do a very, very kind of entertaining, just sort of about their life and about their relationships uh, podcast mm. called Saltmates. Um, but yeah, it was great seeing everybody. Uh, Adam Otke, who runs the LA chapter, is also uh, one of the co-founders of Film Objective, the you know film uh, camera and lens rental um, business uh, out uh-huh. here in the U.S. Uh, that is super cool and is probably going to be you know one of my kind of main go-to's as I continue to consolidate my my uh, camera collection, but. Those those beers and cameras events are just a blast. Uh, they are usually held at some kind of cool, uh, trendy uh, craft brewery somewhere in Los Angeles, and everybody brings you know the best of the best in their collection, and it's a great opportunity to try things that you've never gotten your hands on before. Uh, the people who are shooting digital get you know their images up uh, online really really quickly, and the people who are shooting film you know. In a few days, we'll we'll start posting. Um, but it's it's great uh, being around, you know, people with the same uh, passions. Um, I just wish that we could do it at like, you know, a whiskey distillery. <laughs> As I'm not <laughs> super duper keen right? on some of these craft beers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so on uh, in those things, I think we've talked about this before. But what do you what would you say the percentage of like film shooters is in, in something like that? Since it's kind of an open photography thing. Um, so I obviously can't speak for all of the different chapters uh, mm. around the U.S. and around the world, um, but the one in L.A. seems to be, I'd say, about like 80% of like the 20 to 25 people that were there. There were, you know, I think just a couple, like uh, one guy, in addition to some film cameras, had uh, a Leica Q and another guy had a, an A7R, with, but also, you know, with some vintage lenses on there. So pretty much everybody, uh, at least here in L.A., that goes to these things, you know, shoots uh, film in, in some capacity. And it, it's just, I think, even for, for I'm sure that a lot of those people shoot digital as well. Mm-hmm. But when you're going to be going to, to these things and kind of, you know, showing off your cameras and things like that, having, you know, the sort of cookie cutter latest model of Plastic Canon, blob. Sony, <laughs> Canon, Sony, uh, Nikon, <clears throat> Fujifilm is not the most exciting thing on the planet. Whereas, yeah. you know, pulling out a, I don't know, a, a, a Fuji or, you know, yeah. 645, yeah. you know, point and shoot <laughs> or an RB67 or, you know, a Yashica mat uh, TLR is just a little, a little bit more exciting, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. And I also uh, I met a, a listener of the podcast uh, out there, uh, oh, awesome. a gentleman by the name of Jade, who you know he was sitting at the opposite end of the of the table, and you know it was a, we made like a really long long table, and so mm-hmm. I was kind of on on one end for most of the evening, and when I was heading out, you know he mentioned uh, you know hey I listened to uh, you know to the podcast I've listened to the, all the episodes, and I was I was heading out with. Uh, with Christine Bartolucci and I thought, you know, he was talking to her and I was like, cool. And, and then he turned to her and said, I also listened to all the episodes of your podcast. <laughs> and so, uh, we, we started talking a little bit and he was like, yeah, no dude, it cracks me up. Like it's a lot of fun. And I said, you know, I hope you enjoyed the, the 200th episode that it wasn't too drunk and rambly. He's like, no dude, you guys have your own character. Uh, it's a lot of fun. He's actually going to be at the film photography, uh, Paidea thing in, in early March. March as well, so I'm excited mm. to 
to see him and it's great to you know meet more uh la film shooters and if they're listeners of the podcast even better yeah andre i'm sure i'm not i'm wondering why they haven't they didn't ask you to speak at this uh this film whatever they're calling it uh thing film padilla is that what they're calling it i had some i i looked it up it's some kind of like greek uh, word okay. for like some educational uh, thing. Um, I know, well, I'm not why, 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 why didn't they ask? Why, why didn't they ask you to to speak? I mean, come on, you're you're a legend, a celebrity. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just excited to to go as an as an individual. Uh, I don't know if you know if uh, Phil from the dark room knew exactly when I'd be here. I, I mean, I don't want to like assume that like, oh yeah, no. If had he known, he would have invited me. Like. <laughs> I'm just excited to to go. It's an incredible uh, opportunity. A lot of awesome people are going to be there, so yeah. I, you know, I I don't want to get too mired into the oh why wasn't I because that's the <laughs> I I would never expect to be invited to something like this, much less speak when you know uh, my, my <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, you're, 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 you think that maybe the 200th episode rant might have scared him off a little bit. Possibly is that? that... Oh no, this was this was uh, all organized long, long before that. And I, I stand proud of the 200th episode. You know, everything that I said, however long and rambly and repetitive, uh, was came from the heart, and I and I stand by it. Plus, like, do you remember, Mike, when uh, when I got really kind of uh, not so low key angry at you for deleting? the extremely drunken Monday night episode uh, a long, <laughs> right. long time ago. And I said, right. Mike, there, there's no need to be embarrassed by this. It's funny. People who like it, you know, are going to like it. People who aren't into it probably don't enjoy the podcast to begin with. So why be, <laughs> why be scared? I, I viewed the 200th episode the exact same way. <laughs> true, true, yeah. And I'm actually kind of glad that you see, didn't I don't, edit I don't, I don't mind you out. making a fool out of yourself. I just don't like to make a fool out of myself. <laughs> 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 but uh all right andre you got anything else uh, about your week um yeah one more thing uh after coming back from the beers and cameras um event obviously you know i had so much you know film related stuff in in my head and decided to uh you know whip up some some prints in the dark room was uh was already a little bit tipsy from the the beer and, and not having you know had a whole lot of of dinner that evening uh came back home uh fired up the enlarger and started making some five by seven prints to send out to people I, I obviously have a huge laundry list of people that i owe things to both from you know uh print swaps that i signed up for and never got around to delivering my stuff <laughs> to people that have sent things into the show so little by little from you know, like drugstore uh, prints to actual darkroom prints. I'll start uh, mailing those stuff out. You know, I hope you're not offended if you receive a, a drugstore uh, print instead of a darkroom print. <laughs> um, it takes a lot more time to do those. Oh, absolutely. And I am, you know, at the current moment before I have some kind of uh, way of sort of elevating the the enlarger and the trays off of the floor and uh, in the bathtub, I am kind of crouching down on the floor of my bathroom doing all of these so i can't you know be doing that for too many hours uh before my back starts hurting um but yeah i'm excited to be back in the dark room um my light table now lives on my little bedside table in my room with the um the negative binders underneath the the bedside table so what i'm kind of hoping to do is you know as i 
you know, I'm kind of getting ready for bed, just flip through uh, a few print file sleeves, start identifying things that I want to print, and then on the weekend, uh, carve out some time to just go and, uh, and, you know, print a bunch. Nice. All right. Uh, yeah, Andre, you're talking about your back hurting. Are you, sounds like, it sounds like Andre's getting owed on us, you're talking about bad backs and stuff like that. I, I don't know. It seems awful young to be con- complaining about back pain. So maybe uh, maybe we're, we're wearing off on him. We're, we're, yeah, that we're wearing him down. So uh, I think I think crouching down on the floor for yesterday was, what, about like four or five hours of printing? Um, that will hurt anybody's back. <laughs> True, true. All right, uh, Mr. M, uh, how have you how have you been doing, man? It's been a while since we talked to you. Anything you want to talk about your week? Any special, I don't know, website, new anything you want to get out there? Anything about your week or whatever you want to talk about? Uh, well, maybe not whatever because we, we do have some limited time tonight. But <laughs> and, and standards and standards and standards. standards. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you ever have you ever have one of those uh, one of those weeks when you think that it's gonna it, it's it's going to start off or it's going to end up um, in one particular flavor and, and you, you end up completely going somewhere completely left field, completely different. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, I started this, uh, the week just gone um, off by asking uh, Mrs. M. Okay, what should I shoot? So 35 or 120, and she chose 35. And I said, okay, well, uh, wide, normal, or telly. And she said, just go wide. So 35 and wide. And thinking that this might be some kind of uh, from the gods lottery decision or lottery <laughs> result for photographic um, supremacy and success, <laughs> I, I had I had two two very very tough. Um, very very tough days out just trying to trying to make this combo work and it's normally it's a combo that works really well for me i, I really enjoy shooting um uh kind of 24 20 21 and and, and wider uh, focal mm-hmm. length lenses just i i just get really really close and and shoot a lot of um uh, contrast and, mm-hmm. and texture that kind of stuff and i it just it completely failed so on <laughs> Wednesday, find, I switched. Hey, go do you find yourself with ultra wide? Do you do you find yourself kind of uh, like every time I have something that's more ultra wide on on a camera, I, I seem to want to ex- like exaggerate perspectives a little bit with that. Like I kind of fall into that maybe too easily. Uh, do, is that something that you kind of you kind of do? Or <laughs> yes, please please describe the nature of your failure, M. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just just no no mojo really. Yeah, definitely ex- exaggerated. Um, yeah, exaggerated perspective is 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 one of the things I love about wide and, and, and ultra wide lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me as well, it's it's especially when you're shooting at at the widest aperture for not a particularly fast lens. The closer you get, um, and the the more you end up shooting something with a repeating. Uh, texture or almost mm-hmm. texture some, something like let's say asphalt really close up um, mm-hmm. you can get some really nice really strange um, effects coming out of it mm-hmm. but um, sure. but but yeah I, I i i just wasn't i just wasn't feeling it um the the the, the last couple of weeks i've been shooting uh, medium formats and i've been shooting this um this this text pan thing um, which is a, a name that I stole from Matt Parry over on Twitter, um, <laughs> and yeah, it was it was kind of it was a bit of a 
uh, a leap a leap too far to to something too alien and and my my old and befuddled brain didn't i guess it didn't didn't really understand what was happening so um, <laughs> so so midweek i switched up uh, to my uh, contacts uh, ax and a 135mm lens and i just burned through um, burned through uh, two and a bit rolls uh, by Friday, so it was a, nice. a, a weird start, and a nice end. And Sunday just gone. Um, I finally managed to get out after three weeks of trying. Uh, get out to the same location and and shoot shoot some film that has now been uh, defrosted and frozen three times. So I'm I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure how how good it's going to be by the time I get it to my lab next week. Um, yeah, but yeah, all, all in all, even even with the 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 sad, bad, um, confusing news coming out of uh, coming out of uh, Tetanol, it's been it's been a pretty good week. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, uh, I guess in a way, my week was somewhat similar. I mean, it started off bad, and I thought it was just going to stay bad because um, uh, it just, it just, it was just so freezing cold. I and mean, we had the the polar vortex come through my area of the country. And uh, I love the actually, way you guys give give kind of names to everything, <laughs> to, and and for some reason, it's like the it, it's the, the name kind of lessens lessens the impact of what what actually is happening and if you'd right. called it if you if you'd called it like the the i don't know the 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 death spiral of ice or something like that <laughs> would have been cool but it's like oh no it's the it's the polar vortex right but what is that the polar vortex what, what almost that? sounds like it almost sounds like a fun roller coaster ride actually then uh, more that, than that, a that's, that was, that's what was <laughs> or like a popsicle in, in iron man right or, <laughs> that's true that's true well it cracks me up man because like uh you know you know weathermen have got to be the uh the the strangest uh uh, career choice uh, on the planet but like you get these weathermen on on the newscast and and man whenever whenever anything comes of course they over sensationalize everything and make it make it sound like we're all about ready to die any any storm that's coming in but but they always roll their sleeves up like you know like like suddenly the studio got way hotter and it's so intense in there and they they roll their sleeves up and they (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they just get so nerded out about these weather things when they come in, but and that was kind of what we dealt with. But uh, but it was, I mean, like uh, I know, like Chicago actually had temperatures that were colder than uh, like Antarctica. So like, and Chicago is like five hours north of me. So uh, we got it pretty yeah. bad, but not as bad as they did. But like, uh, but well, yeah, hell, it, it hell was, froze over, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. And, it uh, yeah and uh but it was i mean it was bad i mean it was to the point where i mean you couldn't hardly stand to be outside for more than a couple minutes and it was uh so i thought man there's no way i'm getting any photography done but uh so but then friday it was starting to uh, we have a warm front coming in and uh uh it what happened was when i was at work friday night uh it was starting to warm up but the ground was still like frozen cold so the warm air coming in with the frozen ground made this like i mean it's the densest fog i've ever seen in this town and so when i got off work uh my drive home was about 4 30 in the morning and uh uh it, it was so the fog was so dense it was the visibility on the roads was pretty pretty slim i thought man i am just going to stay up till till dawn and if this fog is still around, I'm going to shoot some damn photography for the for love of God. It's been forever. So I, I saw that. So, I saw that on your on your face cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did a face cast before that, and uh, so I, I, I sat here in, in the in the gutter man cave and waited for the sun to come up. I was like, I just knew because even as as I was getting closer to my house from their drive home from work, 
Uh, it, the fog seemed a little less dense as I got closer to home. I was like, man, by the time the sun comes up, this, this fog is going to be gone. It's just going to piss me off. But, but no, the, the sun came up and I went out and it was still plenty foggy. So I went to this, um, this park that, uh, it's kind of the park, uh, right outside the neighborhood I grew up in. It's about, oh, five miles from my house maybe. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, I went to this old park that, uh, I don't know, there's been many, uh, many makeout sessions and cars and stuff like that there, but I, <laughs> But I've been busted by the cops so many times there. So uh, the cops used to come up when you brought your girlfriend up there and they used to come up and just like knock on your windshield and shine flashlights in your car just to just to harass you. It's like, isn't there better things in crime to fight than uh, teenagers making out in a, in a Pontiac Fiero? I mean, what do you want to get accomplished in a Pontiac Fiero anyway? So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's how but. flexible you are. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not saying nothing got accomplished in that Fiero, but uh, that's we'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> but, but the, uh, but yeah, this is the old park, my old stomping grounds park, and I've I've photographed this park many times. But I knew this park has a big lake, and I figured, well, with a the lake there, even if the uh, fog is starting to dissipate on me a little bit, that it'll, it, you know, it'll probably be foggier around there. And uh, so I got there, and it was sure enough, it was still very dense. And uh, so I ran through like uh, two rows of uh, T Max 3200, and uh, just had a blast, man. I, I I brought two rows and um, wish honestly after I finished the second row I wished I had had a couple more rows I, and I, I came on home I didn't get home to like uh, nine in the morning and I should have done uh, been to sleep because I'd worked all night before but uh, if, honestly had I not been starting to feel the effects of being up for a long time I would have loved to have just grabbed more rows and and like went downtown to the city and and taken some city shots with that fog because I mean it's honestly in my lifetime I've never seen fog quite that bad so uh, it was just it was great uh, I've always wanted to you know, take a stab at fog photography and, uh, finally got to do it. And it, it usually always eludes me, but this time I caught it. So, uh, super excited. Well, I think and, after, was it November, November or December when, when we last spoke and you were talking about taking some fog photos and you were getting disappointed because the closer you got to the fog, the less oh, fog right. there was. It was like it was running I'm, I'm away glad, from. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you figured, figured that well out. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was my usual fog uh, efforts. Was yeah, that's right. We did talk about that, and uh, uh, but no, this one was much more successful. So I do have uh, a couple rows of film. I'm going to try to probably develop tomorrow evening. So uh, uh, and I've I've got a couple rows still in the refrigerator of uh, some other stuff I need to develop too. So I'll probably have me a good developing session tomorrow. It's just kind of nice to be, <clears throat> I don't know, back on the horse again, man. And uh, it's been a while, and I, I needed a day like that because you know sometimes you you distance yourself from it for a little while, and you and you forget how much fun it is. And when you get out there and things are clicking, uh, you see the pun I did there, uh, but you know, the, the shutters clicking and you're burning through some film and, uh, just, the the kind of that, that rewarding feeling when you finish up a roll film and you rewind it and all that stuff, it's just all the whole, the whole aspect of it. It's always like, ah, I accomplished something. I finally did something. So, uh, I, I, I do actually shoot film photography folks. I don't just host a film photography podcast, just, uh, throwing that out there, but <laughs> so, but yeah, good times. Um, <clears throat> all right. So. I guess that's well, uh, and, much... and if uh, yeah. w- one thing I was going to say, so I, I know we've already touched on um, on industry doom and gloom and and what have you, um, just with Tetanol, but uh, you guys did see the news coming out of uh, Inside Imaging in Australia about Alaris. Uh, no, I didn't see this. No, I have not. No. <clears throat> Okay, well, this is going to be interesting. So, um, essentially, uh, based on, uh, I'll, I'll send you the link for this. You can 
I think we should pop it into the into the show notes. Okay. So whilst looking or uh, doing some investigation for another uh, news story, the, these chaps that are inside imaging essentially uh, stumbled across um, the fact that Kodak Alaris is looking to spin off mm. its uh, a film uh, business. Hmm. So, so um, Alaris produces um, the the kiosk platform. They produce uh, imaging and scanning and document uh, document management platforms, um, and they also provide or or have their 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 PPF division, which is the paper, photochemicals, and film. So that's the the products that they have the license to sell. The Kodak products that they have uh, license to sell. Um, yeah, they're like so exclusive it, distributors of or whatever. Is it? Yeah. Is Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a part of <laughs> as a part of Alaris splitting from Kodak and taking these 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 four businesses away, they also agreed to uh, to essentially carry carry over um, uh, pension debt that Kodak mm-hmm. said that they weren't going to be weren't going to be paying as part of their um, uh, insolvency. Um, so it looks now to potentially find a way to 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 get rid of that debt or, or to, to, to pay off a, a significant amount of that, um, that the uh, paper and film uh, division, paper, photo, photochemicals and film division um, is, is up for sale. Mm. Wow. Is there any, yeah. uh, any buyers <clears throat> interested or you think, or would Eastman be interested in having it back at this point? Or, cause I know Eastman, well, I mean, kinda, Eastman makes it, but they don't actually, are they're not actually, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it would help Eastman really. Right. Cause I mean, it's kind of good for them. They just make the film and let somebody else sell it for them. You know, <laughs> that's kind of, yeah, it's probably a pretty yeah. good deal for them, but I don't well, know. According, according to this particular article, um, it looks like that they, it looks like they, they have a, a potential buyer in place, or at least they're, they're nearing the, uh, the final stages of, or the, the, advanced stages i think the the article said um of mm. negotiation there um i think certainly it would make it would make sense for um for kodak to to own that <coughs> sorry excuse me and, and and essentially become manufacturer distributor and reseller um, mm-hmm. as they as they were before yeah. um i i know in my conversations with um with people at kodak going back as far as uh, two and a half, maybe three years ago, um, a number of them have said the, the change for them from Kodak to Kodak Alaris um, literally involved getting a new set of business cards. So they were still, <laughs> they were still sat at the same desks. They were still right. in, 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 you know, sitting next to the, the same people, but the, the name on the business cards changed. And I think just from the point of, of owning an entire process and finding if it, the efficiencies within I think it, yeah. it would make sense for Eastman Kodak to uh, um, to to swoop back in and to to take that brand back. Mm-hmm. Um, however, th- there are there are a couple of very very big um, film and analog photography focused businesses out there um, who I think would potentially find it beneficial to their to their portfolios um, to mm-hmm. have a a the only. Um, official Kodak uh, distributor and reseller, um, right. i.e., the, the only business able to to communicate directly with Eastman Kodak for the uh, provision of films and chemistry and paper to consumers and businesses. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's. I, I I don't know. I mean, it's 
it, it, it's another one of those conversations where I, I remember seeing a comment on on Twitter, um, and there was some chap saying, "Well, it looks like it's been up for sale since June 2018. Um, mm. That that doesn't it doesn't sound very good that they haven't found a buyer yet." Mm. And it, it it just it just struck me as a really um, a really narrow minded and 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 kind of um, ignorant statement, to be honest. You know, if, you're, if you're selling a business <laughs> that's essentially worth hundreds of millions of, of, of pounds, let alone dollars, right. Right. Um, you're not exactly going to, uh, there's not exactly a buy it now button that you, <laughs> that, that you can, that you can you press. And, shop. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the last, the last, um, kind of, uh, acquisition that I, that I was involved with years and years and years ago, um, we, we went through, um, five and a half months of solid um, <clears throat> uh, compliance work and due diligence just to ju- just to make sure we knew what we were what we were buying as that business at that time mm-hmm. and that, that, that's for a company that was a hundred times smaller than 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 Eastman or Alaris All um, right. so if it's if it's been up for sale since the middle of last year and we're now sat here at the beginning of Feb I think seven months down the line to to enter into advanced negotiations. It's not particularly quick, but it's it's not particularly slow either. Um, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, so well, that's we'll, interesting. We'll uh, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's one of those things where where, where you look at it, and I know a, a couple of um, news websites have have tried to sensationalize what's happening. Make a negative here. spin on it or something, or just as as, as they all, as they always do. Yeah, um, but that. The, the inside imaging um, article itself is 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 pretty insightful, actually, especially mm-hmm. when it goes to talking about the uh, paper um, photochemicals and film business actually being listed as uh, what is it? it was listed as a a, a discontinued operation um, on materials uh, uh, last year. So mm. it, it looks like it's already being considered as something that Alaris does not do, at least from a, a purely financial, which is cut and dry, black and white um, uh, perspective. Hmm, that's interesting. So something, uh, I guess something we're just, all we can really do is keep an eye on it and hope for the best. It doesn't sound like anything that would be, I don't really see how a negative can come out of it, truthfully. I mean, if Alaris doesn't want to be in that business, I'd rather have somebody in it that, that does want to be in it, you know, maybe. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think I, I see the chances of, of, of a negative thing happening probably smaller than, a, than it just being a positive, maybe. So uh, we'll just have to keep an eye on it, right? So. All right, so I guess that's pretty much our weeks, and wow, that's kind of our weeks and uh, some hot, hot breaking news uh, updates. So uh, the headline news of the of the episode. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, so let's uh, let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come back. Uh, we do kind of want to make this show like a a twenty eighteen retrospective and a twenty nineteen uh, I don't know future perspective. So uh, we will uh, uh, come back after this break, and we'll talk about what we thought about the year twenty eighteen. So we'll be right back, folks.
All right, folks, we're back from the break. And in this segment, we want to talk about the past year, uh, the ghost of 2018. Uh, talk about, the, you know, what we thought about that year and uh, uh, kind of a retrospective on the year that has passed before we kind of move on to uh, uh, 2019. I know we're a month into 2019, but due to the 200th episode uh, uh, extravaganza, I don't know, which uh, disaster or whatever you want to call that, uh, we're kind of behind on talking about these type of things. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get this out of the way, even though I know it's the beginning of February, but it's still it's still a new year. There's still time to uh, reflect on the last year and, and look forward to this year. So, uh, but in this, in this segment, we're going to talk about 2018. So <clears throat> what do we want to, um, well, I guess the main thing is what was the, what we really, really liked about 2018? What do you think the, the big industry news was? What got us excited? That kind of stuff. So I guess, uh, which one do you guys want to go first? Who, who, who's feeling this right now? I think M is a great person to talk to first. <laughs> so uh, I was going to try and push it over onto you, Andre. <laughs> so, so M has been put on the spot, and uh, uh, I'm, I was afraid no one was going to raise their hand, and I was just going to have to call on somebody, which I was probably going to call on M anyway. So, <laughs> say something yourself, Mike. <laughs> So, M, uh, 2018, what would you like to talk about uh, that year? Your, 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 the high points uh, uh, that you thought was interesting in the film photography, uh, uh, the year of 2018? It's kind of a difficult one because I've, I've, I've been asked this question and spoken about it a couple of times now. And the, <laughs> the obvious... The obvious is focusing on on Ektachrome and focusing on P3200, which were um, not small feats at all. Right. Um, I, I think bringing back a, I, I know Mike, you said yourself that um, uh, P3200 coming back was almost a, a bigger event for you. Um, oh sure, than, absolutely. Than because because you, I, I think you said you hadn't you hadn't shot any previously whilst it was still. Um, in production, or, or no, something. I did. I, no, actually, uh, P thirty two hundred was one of my favorite films back oh, when that, I first was... got in. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but I hadn't right. shot much. I hadn't shot much ectochrome. Most of the ectochrome that I did shoot was, uh, you know, uh, was cross processing and stuff. I, I think I've only actually had one roll of ectochrome I shot back when I first got into film photography that I actually took to a lab and got it E six processed. Everything else was uh, cross processing. So, but yeah, P thirty two hundred was always one of my favorites. So to see it come back was a huge thing for me. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I think those two. I, I don't want to diminish um, any any of the efforts that were involved in in bringing those back and, and getting those out there. But I think for me, the the big highlight for 2018 was um, the rise of the 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 garden shed tinkerer. Um, which, which in itself might might seem a little bit derogatory, um, but I. <laughs> I, I I don't mean that at all. I I really mean it coming from a a, a point of 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 love. Um, where you've got people like um, Steve at Chroma Camera. You've got Jason at uh, Pictorio Graphica, the J Lane dry plates. Um, we've got Reflex making leaps and bounds. We've got um, people like um, the, uh, um, uh, the 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 efforts from Jen over at uh, Obscura to get a darkroom set up. Absolutely. Um, you've got Ethan over at Camera Dactyl. You've got the guys over at Standard Cameras. I mean, th this is the beginning of, of the new um, hardware industry, um, and alongside Intrepid with their with, with their new enlarger, which was fantastic. So I think it was really the 
for me, it was just signified by all of these individuals um, kind of st- stopping their their weight for legacy industry to catch up with current demand and just saying, look, there's I have a scratch. I'm going to itch it. Here's the result. And if you want to buy it, you can support me on Kickstarter. You can you can purchase via pre-order. You can do this. You can do that. You can do the other. So we've got all of this new uh, gear, and it's it's not only cameras, but it's uh, um, uh, developing systems like the one just announced by by Stearman for the for for eight by ten or the enlarger, or a whole bunch of other stuff. And and Lambax. yeah, so. so the lab, well, the, the lab box. I know. I mean, that that was 2017 originally, right? And they they've gone through a number of reiterations now, um, rolling in some of their uh, anticipated second generation technology and features into into what's going to be released version. Obviously, you've got Cinestill with 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 the with the TCS and any number of products that might be released in in 2019 to add to that particular family. Um, I just I think it's 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 great to see um, smaller businesses and individuals just out there, um, for want of a better phrase, feeding themselves. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's uh, another thing too. Is like, well, actually, I'm not going to get this because it'll 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 steal my thunder when I want to talk about 2018. But this is a nice. <laughs> way for you to just pick up the baton and just you know this is now you speaking so you don't have to see <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> i mean i'll go ahead and i'll go ahead and uh, and, and get to it uh, 2018 for me i mean obviously uh ectochrome and but for me p3200 was my was the highlight absolutely i mean i was just out shoot, like i said just out shooting it in the fog the other day and it's just such a it's such a fun film because even with low light man you know, I, I was with fog. Obviously, you want to overexpose by a couple of stops to make sure you bring out because uh, your meter is going to try to to take away some of the fog effect uh, by how bright the fog is. So you have to overexpose a little bit. Plus, it was it was dawn. It was a break of light. So it just being kind of a, a low light situation. But I'm, I'm you know I'm shooting P thirty P thirty two hundred and I'm getting you know shutter speeds of one hundred twenty fifth of a second easy with ease and and still having aperture choices and it's just so versatile that way and it's so much fun to to just go out without a tripod and shoot in low light and and be able to have that flexibility and uh, it just it's always been one of my favorite films so that was a huge probably easily my highlight and then of course Ectochrome I'm excited about too but. But the other thing that you're talking about, a lot of people from the hardware side, but uh, for me, even kind of the cottage industry that's grown uh, even more so in 2018 with the small filmmakers and like these people that are like uh, kind of pre-exposing yeah. film and doing crazy stuff with colors and stuff like that on, yeah. on the on, yeah. on the film. Uh, now, I know that's not for everybody and I haven't tried that stuff yet. I do want to try some of it. But um, but that to me, that's, uh, that's something that could bring, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are looking for a film look and they don't really know exactly what the film look is, but something like those yes. kind of like pre-exposed films because they think yeah. they're going to get something wacky out of film all the time. And, and you know, you go buy like uh, a row of Kodak Max at your you know Walgreens or whatever, and you're, you you take photos with it, and probably what you're going to find out is the uh, pictures came out just 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 fine, and didn't didn't have this crazy <laughs> film Instagram look you expected. That's, yeah. that's so, a really annoying thing, right? It's like okay, I'm I'm I've, I've been applying my my film photo uh, my film filters and other filters in Instagram for years, and 
So when I move to, to, to doing it myself in camera, I'm going to get that exact same look. And it's like, damn it, the pictures are sharp and the colors are perfectly rendered. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So like, I feel like, I feel like a lot of these strange films, like, I don't know, maybe some, some diehard, uh, crusty old, photo- old film photographers may not like it, but some of these new people to film that are wanting the crazy effects, uh, that might be something that gets them back and gets them into film to try it. So I think it's a, a really positive, uh, even though it might not be for everybody, I think it could definitely attract a new segment to uh, a film photographers so uh, i think that's been a, another interesting development that really kind of seemed to really spike in 2018 so yeah it seems to i, I think those guys um uh, people like double people like yodica um mm-hmm. and what what has seemed to some people as being an endless stream of rebranded films um from uh street candy through to cosmo through to whatever um i i think the what am i trying to say the the kind of very niche um uh color uh, what's the word i'm looking for the very niche kind of art films these the, mm-hmm. the pre-exposed films i think they they really do have a have a space i also think that there's a, a still a massive space for um the the rebranded and repurposed films to 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 fill in the market um I, I, a number of people expressed to me last year that that they felt that black and white, especially, was going through fatigue. So whenever a new film was on, uh, was was announced, the first question would be, "Oh, what is it a rebrand of? Oh, is this just some surveillance film again?" <laughs> right. And and I think that 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 kind of commentary really takes away from the 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 truly difficult nature of bringing a film to market whether or not someone is already making that film under another brand mm. and it also so diminishes the reality that hey look you can buy um xyz 400 in the states and in western europe but you'll be you'll be you know you'll be very very hard pressed to find that outside of those markets so some of these rebranded um, films, although they're not going down very well in those traditional markets, they're seeing brand new markets in 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 other countries where film photography is growing much faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, well, I, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, but I know well, that I'm trying to say something. <laughs> Well, plus, well, I mean, uh, the good thing, like, uh, I, I don't know why people would get up in arms about just the rebranding of something or or finding some old surveillance film and turning it into a product that uh, is more uh, ready for your still cameras. Because the bottom line is, you know, if it's selling more film, it's causing manufacturers to need to produce more film and stay in business of producing film. So anytime film is selling, uh, regardless of whether it's just repackaged or whatever, uh, that to me, it's, it's always a positive. I don't see how you can draw a negative out of that because the bottom line is to keep these keep these film plants rolling man you know and uh that if it helps that then you know exactly i'll give you a a very recent example so um lamography at the end of last year announced their berlin 400 and then the potsdam 100 um black and white films so these are are re-badged cine films um made by a european manufacturer Mm -hmm. and they they don't they haven't said who it is but they don't they don't make any um claims that it's something that they've made themselves and sure those films are relatively expensive uh, compared to buying 
whatever the original stock might be in bulk and bulk loading it for yourself. But again, it's marketing. It's getting it's getting that film out into corners that others may not reach. You know, mm-hmm. like the Listerine adverts. You know, <laughs> so it gets into the yeah. places where the others can't reach. Um, but interestingly, Potsdam has now come out, and I, I haven't shot uh, any of any of it, but it's now come out in one twenty format. Um, oh wow! And if you if you know or if you have a fair idea of, of who this German cine film manufacturer may be, this is the first time that they've released a 120 version of their product in over a decade. Oh, wow. Um, so it's, 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 it is rebranding, but it's also bringing new products from existing manufacturers and actually convincing these manufacturers to say, hey, look, you can create a new product. There is enough demand in the market to sustain this requirement mm-hmm. um so yeah that, that's that's just to back up your point of if there's more film on the market there's more film being consumed if there's more film being consumed there's more film being created if there's more film being created then the market is potentially buoyant so it's a good perfect thing. yeah absolutely absolutely andre any thoughts well so you guys went kind of down the the hardware uh and you know uh small kind of independent uh film uh rebranders slash marketers which 100 percent this year this past year has been absolutely great for all of them uh, i actually want to touch on a, a couple of different areas uh, the first one being retail obviously uh analog wonderland had a, a fantastic year and you know our best to uh, to Paul McKay and, and our friends over there, Analog Wonderland, um, especially now that they're kind of jumping into this uh, this age of really accepting those um, smaller mm. film companies and, and giving them a place to, to live and operating as a sort of distribution network for uh, people like Sam Cromwell <laughs> and, and SolarCan who you know, can focus on just creating the, the really cool stuff out there for film photographers and not have to worry in addition to doing all of that, you know, marketing and advertising and selling and distribution. Um, and, and that isn't only, you know, obviously Analog Wonderland is probably the, the most popular example of that, but uh, around the world, more and more uh, film retailers are opening. Uh, Australia has had a huge increase this year that, that we've been seeing at uh, at Cinestill, for example. Just, you know, stores all over the country and all over the world uh, growing and wanting to carry, you know, not just Kodak, not just Ilford. Um, approaching some of the, the other companies in this space wanting to to have chemicals in their stores and, and developing tanks to really kind of grow that on the retail side so that this doesn't have to be, you know, depending on where you live, an exclusively kind of online uh, experience of having to, to buy film from, you know, a different country and ship it, uh, you know, to you, uh, being able to see kind of brick and mortar uh, actually growing in this, you know, industry that that so easily could have died and in and in an era in which uh brick and mortar is is less uh a part of our lives than it used to be is is really really exciting 
Well, I also think that, uh, like, you know, speaking of the, the smaller manufacturers of film that uh, that are able to, like, maybe accommodate, like, a store that just wants to, you know, maybe have, like, 10 rows in stock of their film where you may not be able to do that with Kodak and Ilford. Uh, we had that that listener, gosh, I can't think of the name. You maybe remember Andre that has, like, a coffee shop that just wanted to carry uh, some uh, some films in his coffee shop. Like, you know, do you remember who that was? I, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. I cannot remember their name. Yeah, but I mean, that's a cool little story. I mean, a guy has a coffee shop and he wants to, you know, there's a, it, I guess he has a, a bit of a film photography uh, base, uh, customer base or whatever, and just wanted to start selling some some film in his coffee shop or whatever. And uh, that's that's a really cool thing where like a small film manufacturer can step in and like, yeah, we'll send you 20 rows or whatever where, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how Kodak or Ilford works, but I'm pretty sure they're probably not filling too many uh, retail stores with 20 row orders. But, uh, you know, but I mean, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're going to be a, a dealer depending on the company that you're approaching like you're probably going to encounter some some minimum order quantities right whereas you know one of these smaller companies like yeah they'd probably fill an order for just 10 rolls i mean right uh, the more the merrier mm-hmm. yeah i definitely think it's a, a good positive thing about some of these uh smaller uh film manufacturers that were just or film rebranders or whatever whatever they're doing uh trying to get their get their product out there but uh all right uh anybody else got any any more thoughts they want to add or yeah, think. so the, the the second kind of different area that I wanted to to shine some light on is on the on the community side. Obviously, we have you know pillars of the community like emulsive.org, but uh, one of the great things about uh, you know this this past year was how much uh, the the community has grown in terms of you know new podcasts and new YouTube channels uh, out there. Obviously, we. We've seen uh, a lot of members of our own audience start their own podcast. Uh, a certain, a certain host of of emulsive.org and and uh, uh, <laughs> founder of of thirty five MMC put out a you know something called the hypersensitive uh, photographers podcast. I believe. Oh, <laughs> and are you yeah. familiar with that? <laughs> I, I'm vaguely familiar. I was very drunk at the time. Um, <laughs> well, we know how that feels. <laughs> I'm just glad. I'm just glad that although this this show probably influenced uh, M's podcast in no way, shape, or form and format, it definitely at least influenced them to uh, I don't know just get blitzed while they're while they're while they're uh, podcasting. Which I think uh, you know, if we can just uh, spread that into the film community, I think <laughs> I think they will call it a win at this point. <laughs> it's been a, a long standing goal of mine. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think you're absolutely right. The, the the number of new podcasts. I mean, I I, I put a list together of all of the uh, analog podcasts, kind of towards the just the second half of 2018, and even even by the end of the year, I was like, oh crap, I need to update this because there's another <laughs> half a dozen um, half a dozen new new podcasts out there, mm. and you, you'd think you'd think that it would <clears throat> well people have commented in the past that there's already too many and they, they made those comments without realizing how many there were at that time. Right now we're probably, I think we were on 23 or 24 when I did the list There's probably 32, 33 of them now. And we're still nowhere near um, getting close to saturation because mm -hmm. each of these new podcasts just directly addresses very specific um, kind of uh, local or regional uh, commentary or conversation or styles or or, or attitudes or, or or what have you. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's it's 
it's fantastic especially you know going right into into niches of camera repair and pinhole and vintage cameras and and uh the impact of nordic weather on on semi mechanical <laughs> cameras you know it, it's, I, I, I think it's i think it's fantastic and what what hamish and i are doing with ours is really just providing that that benchmark providing that 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 level of of quality and that that <laughs> just just, just that, that, that we hope people will aspire uh, never to have to have to um, seep down to and to 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 hit. I think as long as <laughs> as long as we can continue to produce a, bro- a a podcast that is significantly worse on on every single level to everything else you know that else that's out there, um, we're happy. We're happy. Right? It's, would you say, M, that it's a different uh, way of inspiring people to, you know, to sort of be like, you know, don't be afraid of, of starting a podcast. Like, you know, if you're scared that it's going to go horribly, that like people are going to get bored, that you're not going to have, you know, shit to say. Like, listen to the hypersensitive photographers podcast. I mean, like, really, it can't be worse than that, right? <laughs> you, you, honestly, you couldn't you, you couldn't have put it any better. Uh, my name is M. This has been my TED Talk. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, the only thing that disturbs me about it, Em, is that I felt like that, that it was our job to keep the bar really low and keep people motivated to start in podcast. But it sounds to me like you're trying to go maybe lower than the bar that we've established. And I, 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 it's a challenge, but I, I feel like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> you, you I feel like maybe, you, maybe you think you're up to it. But <laughs> Well, it's, it, it, it's quite funny because um, it, it just it goes to show no matter no matter how um natural a podcast may may seem <clears throat> um there there's always an, an element of production values production quality and um kind of etiquette that that goes into it whereas what what Hamish and I are doing are, are literally we're just we're just pressing record on a conversation <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how that's different than our podcast, though. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you 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 have plans which you, which you discuss in advance. We 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 don't. We we kind of we had a, a we had a small list of, of stuff that we wanted to cover, and there are big topics and and big things that that we do want to cover eventually. But but really, for us right now, it's we're we're hitting record. We're kind of finding our own feet, and it's. It's terrible, and I wouldn't expect the the conversational quality to 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 get any better because it's it's just <laughs> it's just me and he just 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 talking, and it's um, uh, occasionally uncomfortable and awkward, uh, <laughs> and the humour doesn't doesn't really go, and we 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 do insult each other, um, but but we're having fun, and if 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 anyone is inspired to make a better podcast, then I think. Um, You've it's not hard. You've and done your done. job if you've, if you've inspired others. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's providing educational materials and resources where the, the, the source is, is utter incompetence. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, for one, uh, I enjoy it. So if that, if, but, but then, you know, the, the low bar of this show, so please don't take that as a compliment, but, uh, <laughs> But, but I, I have, uh, I've enjoyed it. So, but well, what, uh, yeah. what we're really trying to do just to, you know, cause we do want to differentiate ourselves. And I think our biggest differentiator is going to be, um, having the highest number of textually negative five-star 
reviews on Inst- on their iTunes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you know uh i think uh it's when you get criticism is when you know you're being successful right i mean uh i i, I guess i don't know that, that's you just the way so? i try to look that's the way i try to look at the criticism of this show <laughs> just means it's just it's just catching on <laughs> but, uh, and so, also but, yeah. for for you know as just as many whether they're kind of like you know tongue-in-cheek or sarcastic or legitimately like ah guys this is like really unpolished you know, we get five times as many comments of, you know, as unpolished as it is. And, you know, just kind of hearing hearing the two of you guys uh, uh, get drunk and, and, and talk about this stuff. It's actually really entertaining and it entertains me at work. So I, I always appreciate that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Did we pretty much cover 2018? I mean, I think we obviously talked about the biggest event, and it wasn't Kodak. It was M starting a podcast. I believe is what we is what we concluded. Is that what? <laughs> I think we're I think we're good. We we've looked at the past, and now it's time to look at the future. That's right. That's right. All right, folks. Well, we're going to take a take a break, and then uh, kind of collect our thoughts about the the year going forward. So we uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. All right, folks, we're back for one last segment. Had a very uh, little interesting talk during that break about how to, um, how to, you know, kind of uh, perfectly craft uh, a uh, a cuppa of <laughs> proper English tea. Well, I'm going to insert that at the end of the show so you guys can learn that so we can all get culturally more uh, aware of, uh, uh, of, I don't know, English traditions. I don't know, because <laughs> that's, that's one thing that this podcast really, really kind of uh, concentrates on is uh, English traditions, right? That's kind of one of our, one of our main... <laughs> our main main uh yeah subjects but uh so but this segment is the final segment i guess and we want to talk about uh 2019 what we expect in the film photography uh uh, uh world what we want to want to see what we're looking forward to that kind of that kind of that kind of jazz but um uh, so i guess i'm gonna throw this out here and see who raises their hand who, who wants to go first for 2019 <laughs> crickets you guys is crickets crickets right? crickets I'm, I, I, I honestly I have something that that might be considered a little bit controversial. Okay, um, so, so should we start off controversial or in controversial? Let, 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 <laughs> let's 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 sandwich let's sandwich that inside less controversial topics so that the uh, the focus is is bled off it. I think. Okay, I, I vote I vote Andre. <laughs> okay, so uh, one one thing that that I will kind of talk about for for 2019 that I hope becomes uh, more of a trend is is printing and we're probably going to do another episode about uh kind of resolutions uh for lack of a better term but i think that we mentioned before in the looking back at 2018 um section that uh intrepid is putting out a uh enlarger which is actually uh, they're doing in a really cool way i i can't exactly explain it super well but as people 
you know, become more comfortable and more solutions out there become available, uh, whether it's stuff like Labbox or the Stearman Press SP445 and now 8x10 developing tanks, things like monobath developers, uh, temperature control uh, systems, uh, ranging from kitchen sous vides to TCSs to Jobos, things like that, become more and more available. Uh, the the ease with which people can get into developing is is kind of you know the barriers have been so knocked down by that that I think the the next frontier is going to be uh, the the printing side you know darkroom printing which you know we've been shown that developing is super super simple darkroom printing is still kind of another uh, added level of of I mean, it's not altogether complicated, but I mean, you do need to to block out all light and have trays with chemistry and some well, kind of safe light. For sure. Yeah, there's yeah. there's there's a craft to it, but it's not you know too difficult. And uh-huh. the the main kind of difficult thing uh, in the past being, well, how do I find uh, an affordable and larger uh, has now kind of been is starting to be solved. So, you know, as much as as scanning remains a, uh, a a bottleneck a deterrent a, a frustration for a lot of us and things like you know the the pixelator are, are kind of and the film lab app are are bridging some of those gaps and we're hoping that somebody out there makes a kind of modern pack on scanner mm. um, I, i'm really looking forward to people printing in the darkroom more be it in their own home darkrooms with uh with you know secondhand enlargers or or intrepid enlargers or uh, reaching out to you know the the increasing number of community darkrooms that are popping up. Uh, I hope that people get their hands uh, on on more darkroom printing in 2019. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, I can I can pretty much agree with you. I'm going to go uh, for my 2019 uh, f- forward thinking. Uh, we already kind of got the rumors of this. Obviously, I think the big news that's coming out, and I think this is obviously going to happen because it looks like they're already working on it. But uh, Kodak coming out with uh, uh, Ektachrome and 120 is going to be huge, I think. And uh, but even more so for me, uh, which I've mentioned several times on this podcast already, my love of P3200. The fact that uh, Kodak is, apparently has already working on it. They ran into some troubles, but uh, it looks like it's going to happen. Uh, P3200 has never been offered in 120. It was always a 35 millimeter film, even back in the first run of it years ago. So to see that come out in 120, it's just going to open up so many more worlds uh, for me as far as shooting medium format because of my schedule. I'm typically finding myself in low light situations. I, I, I Actually, one of my best times to shoot is night shooting. And to be able to take... Uh, like say a medium format camera out and with that P3200 and shoot in low light at nighttime without a tripod, uh, that's that's going to open up a whole another world for me. So uh, those those two announcements uh, uh, obviously sound like something that's going to happen in 2019, and uh, that that gets me super excited. Uh, and plus, uh, you know, if I guess, and I, I've talked about this plenty of times, but. Uh, there was mention uh, from uh, on the Sunday 16 podcast we, that we mentioned earlier when uh, Andy Church was on there talking uh, from for Kodak uh, that uh, about other films they're looking at bringing back. I don't know if it'll happen this year because it seems like that you know Ektachrome and 120 and and P3200 and 120 will be their main focus at least for now. Uh, the fact that Plus X was mentioned uh, gets me so excited, and I'm just going to keep pushing for it because uh, it's a it is a hole in Kodak's catalog. Uh, 
the fact that they don't really have a traditional grain uh, film that in that kind of 100 one, plus X is 125 speed. Uh, but they the only speed they the only film they have in that speed is the T Max 100, which is the you know more tabular grain uh, type film. But to get a traditional grain type film of plus X uh, back out again, it was a beautiful film and. Uh, I would love to see that come back out. I don't know if it happened in 2019, but it'd be awesome if it did. And hopefully Kodak learn will learn from uh, the fact that uh, Ektachrome and P3200 was success, successful enough that uh, they were able to now start uh, giving an attempt to put it out in medium format and 120 form. Uh, hopefully when they, if, if, and when they do bring out plus X, uh, plus X, bring it out immediately in both formats, you know, don't bring it out. And hopefully they'll, they'll not just bring it out in 35, just go ahead and put both formats out at, at the, at the same time. Uh, because it seems like everything they put out is sold well enough to uh, justify a medium format version. So that's uh, something I would like to see from, uh, from that perspective and um as far as uh, other things 2019 uh, the hardware side um I, I still feel like the the scanning options are still uh, not technically answered uh I, I i don't hate scanning as much as a lot of people do because i'm usually hanging out in the gutter man cave when i do my scanning and i've got beer here so it gets me through it but i mean i guess i guess if you don't have the luxuries of the gutter man cave when you're scanning it can be very <laughs> very tedious but uh but yeah, I do think that uh, uh, there's a lot of options coming out for easy scanning, for low res scans, just for uh, social media purposes and stuff. And, and, and those options are fine for that. But I want to get to a point where we get something more for higher. I want to be able to more quickly and easily scan uh, in high resolution that I can print eight by tens, eleven by fourteens out on uh, from that scan. And uh, there's not still not really good solutions for that. I don't know that we're going to get anything like that because the, the market is is small and i'm sure it's going to take a lot of technology to pull something off like that like a like you like you mentioned andrea a new pack on type uh, scanner or something like that but uh and you know what i did i, I actually started talking about 2019 and and, and leaving m to last so it, we are going to end on controversy so i <laughs> i'm supposed to let him go next <laughs> <laughs> so, oh you well, snooze, well, you lose. <laughs> right. I just jumped right in and went on in, and I was like, "Oh man, now we're going to end on 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 M." So that could be. Uh, we'll, we'll have to find some way to to cheer everybody up at the end here. So, uh, <laughs> but but exactly. uh, yeah, like I, a wonderful recipe for English tea. <laughs> that's true. That's true. The recipe that that'll save it. So we'll be fine. So <laughs> and the light. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of my my thoughts on 2019. Uh, and uh, uh, plus, I, you know, honestly. From an instant photography standpoint, I I feel like um, Polaroid maybe um, maybe see something. I feel like the maybe a, a new formulation. I'd like to see the 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 integral film get a little more. Uh, keep making advances. It's getting it's, it's gotten so much better, and I've really enjoyed the 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 their last bit, you know version of the Polaroid Originals uh, integral film or whatever. But you know, it's always it can always get better, and so. Uh, I like would like to see something new from them as well. Maybe some sort of push from Polaroid to uh, and uh, and oh, my last one. And it's another film related thing. Uh, for Valentine's Day, my wife was looking to buy me this Valentine's Day present, and she was very excited about it. She said, "I've got the perfect idea for you. I just hope I can make it happen. It's going to be such a good present." And I'm like, "Oh, I wonder what it is. Where it is?" And then and then she she was like. Um, then she got really like, ah, oh, damn it, I can't make it happen. And I'm like, well, do you want to know what it was? And I was like, no, I mean, just save it. Save it for, you know, some other 
thing or whatever, uh, my birthday or something. And she's like, no, I can't because they don't make it anymore. And she was trying to get uh, procure some rows of Lomo uh, turquoise film for me. She had seen it somewhere and didn't realize it was out of production. That was what she was trying to get me. That would have been an awesome Valentine's present, but they don't make it. And I, I would love to see Lomography bring back at least uh, one. Just give us one more batch of turquoise film because I missed out on it the first time. And I just love the way the sample photos I saw of that online. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I would love to see just come on, Lomo. One, one more batch of turquoise would be uh, would be super awesome. So that'd be my my other last wish. My last uh, <laughs> my last uh, um, I don't know, uh, thing that I'd like to see happen in 2019. But uh, all right, Em, go ahead and piss everybody off. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, actually, I, I didn't. I didn't really uh no I I got on with turquoise when it was out uh-huh. um enough to enough to shoot my my the first four of the five rolls that I bought but not enough to want to shoot it again and then oh, yeah. about about a year later um I was looking at, at at some of my photos and I really I started missing it as well because there are certain there are certain lights and certain colors that you shoot and it just it just comes out looking like nothing else that's out there yeah um really really um difficult color palette to explain to somebody without giving them a visual and it's also really easy to show them a very bad visual as well if if, (laughs) you get my drift Um, right but when it's when it's right i mean it's just like wow and i i do i do hope they they bring it back i mean they're on what's what is it version three of purple which has been delayed until may this year so uh. yeah i was i was actually wondering about that because i pre-ordered like five rows of that when they did the pre-order mm-hmm. and i was like did they forget about me did that come out and i just not get it so i hadn't hadn't been following it so they, it's been delayed i guess is that the deal yeah they they, they sent um they sent some email updates uh, so you might want to okay. check your, your junk folder just to say that because maybe, maybe that's where it's at <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, it, it will be out and I, I i hope it's more reminiscent of version one um because mm. I, I know when the second version came out it was it was not not really purple um it it, it got to pe- people who were used to shooting it um tried using the same kind of approach to to version two and it, it came out more as like a vintage or an aged photograph look mm. as opposed to as, as kind of um that that intense so so i think we'll find out and you're shooting of it since you had some experience i've I've got a couple rows of of that of the last version of purple in my refrigerator i haven't shot yet i'm kind of waiting for uh, uh the foliage to come back here when springtime or whatever to shoot it but uh when you did shoot it what did you rate it at uh ei wise i mean where did, where did you shoot it at what did you find was the best result Cause i know it's kind of like considered like a one to four hundred and don't they kind of give you that range sort of on it or That's something right, but yeah yeah what was um, your, what I was found, your... uh, I, I found, and it's, it's been a while since I last shot it, but um, um, if you, with, with version one at least, if you overexpose it by one or two stops, uh, so 200 or, or 100, um, you'll, you'll get more intense uh, okay. purple colors. So um, similar that, that, to... That's what I was finding. Similar to like when you do red scale, sort of the the lower, the more, more, uh, I guess the more pop you're going to get from the colors, the lower. Yeah, I need to to double check my notes on that because I I could be completely wrong. But um, the the first thing I did when when the original purple came out was to do um, uh, 
uh, to do some filter tests. So I had six colored filters. Mm. Um, so I, I had, I think it was five, five scenes altogether. Um, and then each, each scene with, um, no filter and then, uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple. And ah. so at, at that time I was really interested in just seeing how it would come out, um, mm-hmm compared to, to Aerochrome. See, I hadn't even thought about uh, using filters with it. I just figured I would shoot it straight. So it, did, did you find the filters were, were beneficial or did it just was it better just straight uh, with no filter? Uh, again, it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing because it will, it will change depending on the, the, the light in your shot. So if you're shooting something that's relatively uh, just in, in shadow, um, you will get a variation, variations on on a theme, some, some mm. colors be muted or almost becoming uh, invisible or white and other colors strengthening. As soon as you add light into it, um, it, it changes its character again. If you, if you check out just on a slightly associated topic, there's um, the, the Lomo Turquoise review that I have on the site actually has um, all, loads of different filtered uh, results okay. as well. Okay. Um, so pe- people will go generally if you're shooting it unfiltered. People were going um, kind of Smurf-ish. <laughs> they were, oh, they were yeah. going blue. Yeah. Um, but but the, the the colors change quite a bit as you're going through different filters and different EIs. Um, I shot a roll of the version two purple, but didn't didn't filter it. Um, I actually have a roll, a couple of rolls of the original and of version two. And when I get version three, my plan is to do a a comparative um, shot or oh, comparative awesome. review with 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 just 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 showing the differences. E- even though the original stuff is um, discontinued now, I think uh, there's a lot of people who are buying one version, thinking it's another, and then kind of mixing up the results. So yeah, I think I have two rolls of the version two that I you know bought a long time ago and never shot. I also mm, never refrigerated right. it, so I wonder if it's even like still good but i guess the only way is shooting it yeah and i think those those kinds of reviews are um are, are really in, interesting and really important to be honest with you because um, mm-hmm. we, we, we talk about shooting expired film and making sure that it was well kept and blah 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 but i think having a controlled test where a roller film hasn't been kept very well i think will be a good um a good source of reference and 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 uh, for 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 people who are buying expired film awesome awesome well mm. yeah i'll be looking forward to seeing that so uh all right em i got kind of got you sad i took you down the rabbit hole of uh of lomo chrome purple to try to uh, you did? maybe distract i, I tried to just dist- i'm trying to distract you from pissing off our audience so i guess <laughs> i was hoping you'd forget to be honest <laughs> so um <laughs> right and I, I mean this. Uh, I, I, I mean this with the greatest respect. But um, uh, I think 2019 is. I think 2019 is going to be the death of analog. And oh. what, what I mean by that is the death of old analog. Um, I think it's going to be the death of the old structures, um, the old methods of doing business. Um, the old infrastructure and the old approach. You know, it, it's it's the shedding of of that pre-digital baggage, 
And I think mm. you look at tetanol and a lot of people are saying, oh, they're too big to fail and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't really agree with that because they're not a bank. They're not a, uh, and, uh, they're not a, a, an international institution that society, um, as we know it, depends on running. Um, I think that they were an organization that wasn't, that was potentially not, not managed with the reality of, of the current landscape in mind. I think that they carried on for as long as they could. Um, with the way that they had been running things um, until it got to a point where um, a supply chain blip or a customer blip or some kind of blip um, caused that, that particular house of cards to come crashing down. And I think um, with what's happened to Kodak over the last 10 years, with what happened to Ilford and, and how that was transformed into Harman, with what happened to Ferrania and, and or the original Ferrania and, and how Film Ferrania is, is building that out, with what's happened to a whole bunch of other manufacturers and, and organizations in the supply chain over the last 10, 10 years. Um, I think 2019 is the beginning of, of the whole um, industry the whole service sector um, shaking itself up and just realizing that they need different approaches mm. if the business is going to be sustainable. It's just, it's, it's, I guess in a nutshell, you could say it's the, the industry specifically realigning to meet the reality that we've been in for the past 10 decades. Right. Um, so, but you're not, this is not necessarily really a negative thing. You're talking about basically companies that provide us with these products that we need are becoming meaner and leaner and, and actually better because of it. So in a way, so this isn't necessarily a negative, right? Sure. I think long, long term, there, there's definitely leanness and meanness um, going to be happening. But I think if, if you say something like the death of analog or, or the, the, the death of, of, of industries, you know, there's a lot of people that they will just take that and just go, Oh, well, you know, that, that's it. They just stop listening to anything else <laughs> or stop reading <laughs> uh, anything else that comes after that. So I think it's important to, to justify that with, with what that means. Um, I, I think in between now and uh, finding um, efficiencies and, and building better or businesses that are better equipped to deal with the reality. I think there's going to be a lot of uncertainty and there's potentially going to be a lot of heartache and there's definitely going to be a lot of, um, uh, a lot of people out there screaming doom and gloom. Um, mm-hmm. I would love for, for Tetanol's uh, management buyout to be successful um, by April 1st so that there's not really any break in production. Um, I think the reality is just being, being, uh, a, a realist about this. Um, I think there's going to be a few months of um, at least of, uh, of zero production coming out of their existing facilities, um, and b- before before something happens, even if the MBO is is successful, um, people like Adox and 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 existing stockpiles of chemistry and other associated products may be enough to to keep the you know to to, to keep everyone afloat um, for. Consumers like us, I don't think it's it's going to be. We're going to see a massive blip in terms of supply. My main concern is uh, the labs, and yeah. whether or not whether or not people like Bellini uh, and Adox in Europe are going to be able to pick up the slack. Whether people like uh, Unicolor um, and whoever makes the the FPP's chemistry and whoever makes um, 
freestyles aristochemistry, uh, whether they're able to, to, to do the same as well. So I think short term, it, it's potentially going to, tetanol specifically is potentially going to be um, an issue. I think moving into the mid and long term, they're hopefully going to resurrect a, a new company that's going to be better at, 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 better at business. Yeah, you know, better yeah. at protecting themselves against the uncertainty of a of a shrinking market. A, a lot of people have said, well, you know, the the tetanol guys could just move into other premises, and you know, they they reduce their their footprint, so they're not paying as much rent and all of this kind of stuff. That that kind of works for office based staff, um, but there's a reason why Ferrania hasn't been resurrected already in a brand new facility, and it's because they're they're locked in. Uh, to a location, um, right. you, you know, it, it's it's not like something out of the Avengers where you can literally just lift a giant piece of land, <laughs> including un- include including underground facilities and infrastructure, and just move it somewhere else. You know, this the the, the tetanol uh, facility specifically in Germany is large and it's sprawling. Um, you can't pick it up and put it somewhere else because you have mm-hmm. very specialized tools for making very specialized chemistry. Um, so yeah, I think if anything, uh, the 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 current tetanol news, the current news with uh, Alaris trying to find a buyer for the uh, paper, photochemical, and, and film industry, um, that that's all pointing towards businesses that need fundamental restructure in order to be maintained in in today's market. And right. then, by the same measure, we have. Uh, as you said, Mike, we've got P3200 coming out in 120. We've got Exochrome in 120. We've got Exochrome in 4x5. Um, we've got brand new 120, uh, 120 film um, that hasn't been seen from one European manufacturer for, for, for over a decade now being sold through Lomography. There's mm. a whole bunch of other rumors and murmurs and other stuff that's coming out um, that, that's coming to me from people saying, okay, these are going to be new films or new things that we're going to be trying this year. We've got Intrepid who have got their um, Enlarger. You've got, uh, you've got uh, Stearman with their, their new 8x10. We've got the new Nova uh, uh, print, print processors and, and, and washers. And we've got the, the, the TCS from Sinistel. So you've got restructuring happening on one side and then consumer products which are happening on the other. And although one may be bad news, you can see that that infrastructure needs to be rearranged to support this obvious demand, which is currently being supported by, by new products. Right. So, yeah, that, to me, that's what... I, I guess it's probably better to describe it as it's the death of old analog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I I can go with that. Yeah. It was a. I, I like what you what you kind of did there is what the weathermen do here uh, locally by calling it a polar <laughs> vortex. You you threw a bomb and it turned out it was just it was just it was just a cold front, you know. But uh, <laughs> you threw a polar <laughs> vortex at it. It just turns out it's just a cold front you were giving us. But and and it's no big deal. It's going to warm up and uh yeah. So, but uh so uh now you did you did mention Ferrania. Uh, I, I ask you guys. Uh, Either one of you think we see Ferrania uh, on their feet and actually uh, producing film uh, on a regular basis this year? Do you think this is the year they finally get it all worked out and get functioning? Yes. I have no idea. I hope so. That's yeah. all I can say. M, M uh, do you think so? Uh, yeah. um, I, I would say uh, definitely. Um, I'm not sure whether we'll see. I'm not sure whether we'll see Chrome 
uh, whether we'll see a slide film coming out, but certainly um, considering their, their utter starvation of resources, um, you know, these guys are, are restarting a factory. Um, I, I, personally, I think they've done a very good job. Um, I think the Kickstarter obviously muddied um, perception um, mm-hmm. of the of, of what they're trying to do and it was it was um it's very sad the way that that happened but they they haven't either been resting on their laurels or going out and burning that cash in order to right. to, to to get this factory out and i think ferrania's vision as i understand it for what they see as the future of analog photography and the and where they see themselves fitting into that production and supply chain piece i think is um uh is is one that's very important to support um i think if you talk to if you, if you talk to people like merco from 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 adox and talk about the issues that they've had with building this this brand new facility over the last two or three years um i think merco said to me it's that there are a million things that need to be done um, and there are a million things that can go wrong, and you have to you, you have to you have to manage everything. And there's so much there's so much stuff that 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 as laymen we don't we just simply don't understand. And it's things like if you you're bringing water into let's say a chemical production or a film production facility, um, unless unless you're you're buying um, water from <laughs> from from a, a, a mineral water company and just directly mm-hmm. just pouring bottles into a tank you need uh, filtration systems you need temperature control systems you need ph control systems um and that, that's just one that's one tiny 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 aspect of of everything that needs to happen in that factory and i think ferrania have unfortunately uh, taken the 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 brunt of the bad side um of of all of, all of those kinds kinds of issues yeah, um, I'm, I'm confident that they're going to get back to um, full-time uh, production this year for black and white at least. Um, I know mm. that Chrome is is definitely something that that they want to bring back, and everything that they're doing is 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 aiming towards that goal to bring that back. But it's not like it's not like flipping a switch. Right, right. Well, Kodak had a perfectly functional uh, film factory, and look how long it took for them to put out Ektachrome. So, you know, to re- revive that. So, uh, yeah, that's a. Uh, uh, another thing that, that when you talk about Ferrani, it, it made me think about this. I know a lot of people. We've had people uh, actually ask this question of of guests on the show, and 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 it's something that comes up quite a bit is. Uh, you know, other than like, say, Portra 800, a uh, high-speed color film is not is seems to have like a lack of options right now. And I know that uh, 3M, when they used to own Ferrania and uh, uh, produce film at the Ferrania plant under the 3M brand here in the United States, they used to have a uh, they used to have a slide film. It was like I think it was called uh, I don't know, it was 3M Scotch. Like it was a uh, might have been called Scotch Chrome or something. But but they had a thousand speed. Uh, slide film at one time, and uh, mm-hmm. it would be interesting. I, I'm sure Ferrania would probably wouldn't be their first product, but it would not be a bad <laughs> idea, really, to bring out uh, a fast. Uh, I've never shot it; don't know what it looks like, but imagine a thousand speed uh, uh, slide film. That would be uh, to me. That would be interesting. But and I know there's a, there seems to be a lack Certainly. of options in 
in in, in high speed color film. So uh, that yeah, is another. I mean, you have well, we've got three high speed color films really today. So mm-hmm. we've got um, portrait. Uh, this is box speed. So we have portrait 800 <clears throat> still being produced we have lomography color negative 800 still being produced and obviously mm-hmm. we have cinestills 800t yeah. um, which is just still being produced um i think getting getting a and other slide film is definitely more important than getting a high speed slide film uh, onto the market i'm not sure whether there is whether there still exists enough of a market for a high speed slide film but i'd certainly right. love to see um uh, uh, uh what was it ectochrome ectochrome p1000 or p1600 i think mm-hmm. was, was was one version that kodak made uh, well, and they also had uh, there, there used to be an uh, there used to be an ektar 1000 too uh, i i had a uh, I, I don't know. I think I had a roll of it back in the eighties or so, or late, early nineties, uh, or yeah. my dad did. I remember seeing the box and I, and I, I, I had to look it up to make sure it actually existed, but there was at one time an Ektar 1000. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I, it does not, the, the, the thing with color and um, with high speed color film is it does not age well. If you're, if you're mm. looking at, um, just pure black and white film and how black and white film, uh, ages, there's, there are, depending on temperature and humidity, you, you can essentially predict how a film is going to, how a black and white film is going to behave if it's expired uh, 5, 10, 15, 20, you know, 30 years. With, right. with color films, it's a little bit different because the, the color dyes will begin to degrade um, at different speeds from one another um, and at a different speed collectively to the silver halides. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I shot a I shot a roll of XR one thousand a couple of years ago, and I I, I think I shot that at uh, four hundred or something ridiculous like that. I can't I can't mm-hmm. remember. It was it was terrible. I mean, <laughs> it, it looked it looked like it looked like what you would expect if you bought a fresh roll of Yodica, <coughs> one of the one of the, the Galaxy or something like that today, and right. if you if you left it outside for for two or three years. <laughs> um, just, you know, that, that accelerated process is, is what that XR 1000, um, I guess the grain but, was off the charts too, as well. Grain was off the charts and, and the yeah. color shift when you could see them, they were actually completely bonkers. Um, wow. so I, I think it, it's going to be very difficult for us to see any new color films, um, hitting the market just because they are just inherently more difficult to produce than, than your box standard simple black and whites. Sure. Um, I think we. I, I would. I would love to see Kodak coming out with a a four hundred speed um, or a two hundred. Well, probably a two or a four hundred speed Ektachrome um, that could be pushed a stop. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Based, based on what I did with with E one hundred at uh, two hundred, four hundred, and eight hundred. Oh um, yeah, which you got really good results out of that actually. I, yeah, I was really really pleased with that, and I think. Right it's as, as long as you're as long as you know what you what you are going to get which is mm-hmm. yeah, understanding that was the reason for doing the tests in the first place as, lo- as long as you know what you're going to get um i think if kodak were going to bring out a 400 speed um color slide film i don't see why why you wouldn't shoot it at, at 1600 to be honest yeah right um a native high speed is that the amount of research and development required to to get something out like that is um is it's 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 not the same as saying okay let's we've got a hundred speed film let's make a two hundred speed film if you right. say you've got a 
speed film and we want to make an 800 or a 1000 speed film well with the increase in speed you need to adjust the silver you need to adjust the dials you need uh, the dies you need to adjust a whole bunch of stuff to reduce the the base fog that's going to be inherent in in that higher speed film and i mm. i know vague elements of stuff like this just talking to um jason over at um, uh, pictoria graphica you know the the difficulties not the difficulties the, the technical challenges that go from creating a an iso 3 film base and then developing the 600 version or uh, sorry the iso 6 version or the iso 25 or an iso 50 or an iso mm. 100 so even in that very small, what we would consider to be low speed bracket, there are there are challenges which build and build and build and build, um, which which make it more difficult to produce. And I guess that's where all of the the cash in the R and D goes. It's building, mm. it's figuring out what happens when you do X, and then ensuring that your manufacturing process becomes tighter in order to deal with reduced tolerances for 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 change inside that chemistry sure so, like, well you, you i mean even you, you take something like uh i mean you know kodak you take like their portrait 400 and then they have portrait 800 and you think oh well that's just 400 that, that's a little more sensitive but it, those two films are completely different like i mean 800 right. is not even the same type uh, of look really at all it's not just like a faster uh for portrait 400 it's a it's a completely almost different emulsion in a way so uh it, yeah it, it, our, 160 and 400 are certainly um much Similar. closer yeah 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 today than 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 800 is i think 800 is probably closer to the um the 400 vcnc 160 vcnc um versions that that kodak had um previously mm -hmm. sure sure andre what about uh i mean i, I know you're gonna you're getting ready to tell us all this all the cinestill announcements for this year right all the things that cinestill's coming out with is that right like <laughs> All of our trade secrets and just flush my NDA down the toilet as well as my career. Actually, I will say this though, and uh, uh, I was all this film talk has reminded me. You know what I want to see? I want to see. Uh, I want to see double X in one twenty format. Let's let's get that. Somebody, let's get. Come on, Kodak or or or, uh, or Somebody do this. Let's get let's get uh, the wonderful double X in one twenty format. That would be uh, uh, that would be effing amazing. You can buy it. You know that. You know, really? you can buy. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a 1970s, 1980s okay. <laughs> uh, graphic film stock, but I, I believe it was like it wasn't it wasn't five five two five three two one. I God knows. I I, I actually I had some uh, Super X um, and Double X um, aerographic film in one twenty, and it's oh wow old. It's it's old. It's lovely. I would love to see it. Yeah. Um, um, fingers crossed fingers crossed. there you go there you go yeah because uh, I, I feel like uh, man everybody that shoots that film is at loving it and uh, uh i do think of one thing that keeps a lot of people away from it is just not having a medium format option so it would be lovely to see uh what, what is double like 5222 i think that's the code yeah and uh current code for it i guess but yeah and uh, it's just ah, it's one of my favorites but uh yeah that would be another another wish that i'd like to see come out but uh, i'll it, settle for it is it is a wonderful film i think if it came out in 120 um we'd have large swathes of the community just collectively taking a shit in excitement <laughs> Well, you know, Master Roll Production uh, does does offer you know certain capabilities, and that's that's mm -hmm. all I'll say. 
Mm. <laughs> it, it's right now. I'm shooting uh, uh, Pancro 400 as my uh, as the closest thing I can get to double X in 120. Mm. Just because, de- depending on how you develop it, you can get a very similar um, feeling of of kind of um, fine detail with <clears throat> with uh, not pronounced, but but certainly visible grain. Um, but it, it's 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 a decent enough approximation, but it's yeah, it ain't the real thing. Right, right. Well, you notice it, M. Did you like how I kind of like kind of like tried to bait Andre into telling us something and went into fifty two twenty two and like I don't know, maybe maybe we got a little tidbit. I don't know. I, I feel like I did a little did a little. Uh, I don't know some some real. Uh, hard-nosed journalism there to see how I did I, that. I, 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 did, I did see that, and uh, I did note your subsequent failure because what he said is what's already been said before. Um, you're not going to outsmart the guy unless, unless he's been on the rye. Exactly, which is why I appreciate the fact that you save these, episode, these questions for the time when I have literally no alcohol in my apartment. <laughs> Uh, I missed an opportunity. I, I, we could have gotten so much Cinestill news uh, on the 200th episode. I, I missed my opportunity. So, but, but anyway. Yeah, next, next time, just, just FedEx, FedEx like a, a mini bar. And say, <laughs> hey, 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 Andre, did you get did you get a, a knock on your door today? Did somebody deliver you a, a little gluggy, gluggy, chinky, chinky sounding parcel? <laughs> go, go ahead and go ahead and open that up. No, yes. that's <laughs> Two, two bottles for each segment. By the time he gets to the third, he's a little bit trashed. And, well, uh, there was NDA. there was there was talk of uh, on the Facebook group of somebody making a uh, a drinking game out of every time you heard uh, Andre pour himself another bourbon that that you you take a shot. So. Or say lovely listeners, or <laughs> what else? Somebody somebody there in the Facebook group, you know, type out the rules to the negative positives drinking game. Or or every time I say nice, nice, I think would be another one. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> or every time I say I don't know, which would get you drunk by uh, five minutes in a podcast, I think. So but uh Yeah. So uh all right, have we covered twenty nineteen? Anybody else got anything to say? Andre, you've been quiet for a little bit. Did any any of these thoughts uh, bring anything up in, in your mind? I mean, I'm just looking forward to, (laughs) I'm just looking forward to, you know, a a great first year of my job at Cinestill, you know, meeting up with with more film photographers out here in LA, going to more meetups, both film photography and watch related. And uh, yeah, just another great year of podcasting. I noticed you didn't say anything there about, about actually having nine complete pictures on your Instagram. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I have much that, more is, than nine. M. You, that, you are that, behind. No, 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 no complete, <laughs> complete. Because there, there, there's, there, there's no thread. There's no creative nuance to what you're doing there. And I, I thought that was the whole idea with your uh, no IG posts for six months. You were preparing something that was going to wow the audience. And quite frankly, <laughs> well, happened. you know what, M. The wonderful thing about my my return to Instagram is that it's not for you. It's for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, M, I will say that I think it was you that said that uh, the minute uh, Andre posted a watch picture on his Instagram that we should just burn that shit down. And uh, and it like literally right out of the gates. That's what he posted. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I stopped. I stopped following him. <laughs> <laughs> it took me until image number seven to start posting watch pictures. I had a, I had a solid six images. 
Yeah, but they're all posted. In, they're all posted in a forty-eight hour period, though. So, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, haters well, gonna hate. Yeah, well, that's what we got to do. <laughs> but, all right, folks. Uh, I guess we should wrap this episode up. Unless, unless you all have any more final comments, uh, we can uh, we can end this episode. Anything else? Um, <laughs> it's crickets again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think uh, we we pretty much covered everything. But we need to make a note of the of the of the retrospect and the the 2019 look ahead, so that when we eventually do cover this at some point next year, we can. We can all see exactly how wrong we were. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Uh, see who was the most accurate but, uh, <laughs> in our forecasting of, of the film vortex that's happening in 2019. So, but uh, okay, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up. Uh, let's start with you, M. Uh, go ahead and get your your socials out, and everybody knows this crap, but we got to do it. And that's what we do. So. Go ahead and tell the fine yeah. folks where to check you out, and especially your your new uh, the new podcast that is just blowing up the film photography world. So, well, it's 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 it's, it's definitely blowing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, so you can uh, find me at emulsive.org or pretty much on um, any social media as Emulsive Film, apart from Google Plus, which I finally finally decided to burn to the ground uh <laughs> back in back in december um i can't believe you so yeah you can, <laughs> I, I did it, it was it was kind of there and i i, I realized I, I just stopped posting to it so i just thought well <laughs> kill it i mean google are killing it anyway this year after their their cock up um right. so yeah emulsive film on social media if you want to do yourself the disservice of listening to the hypersensitive photographers podcast um you can search emulsive for it there's a couple of articles on there i guess you can do a google search there is a website um uh but it, it redirects to emulsive so there's no point giving anyone that just just don't listen to it we we, we want to hit we want to hit a milestone of zero listeners um at some point this year i think we're we're, we're getting there we're getting there <laughs> once 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 the curiosity wears off because people are curious to listen once they actually realize that it's not going to get any better we're 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 going to aim for triple digits and then double digits and then single digits and then and no digits zero. <laughs> <laughs> living the dream uh, well it sounds like it sounds like a i don't know it sounds like an attainable uh, uh an attainable goal so <laughs> If you listen so, uh, to episode zero and one, then then yeah, absolutely, they were <laughs> rocketing towards it. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Andre, uh, we're going to find folks. Check you out. You can check out both my film photography and uh, watch pictures on Instagram at Andre on Film. Uh, you can also, you know, check out. I probably won't be posting as much of like the actual kind of following along with my uh, what I've been calling my developing diaries. Uh, but all of the the updates and and future live streams while I you know prep chemistry and and start printing in the darkroom again uh, can be found on the Negative Positives Film Photography Facebook group. Awesome! You can check out my photography on Instagram at Gutterman Photo on Facebook at Mike Gutterman Photography. Obviously, join the Facebook group. It is the Negative Positives Film Photography podcast facebook group uh we also have an account on instagram for the show uh called negative positives uh, mostly ran by mr bryce randall who um, is reposting a lot of listeners photos so if you post photos to instagram think about putting the hashtag negative positives 
in your hashtags, and maybe Bryce will find it and highlight it on the Negative Positives Instagram page. Lastly, you can email this uh, program at negpositives at gmail.com. And uh, any questions or, man, send call-ins, uh, camera, call-in camera views. You can even send a call-in just asking a question or ranting about something. Uh, you can you can imitate M and, like, try to piss off the film community by, like, sending us a call-in about s- some controversial subject. So <laughs> so we're always welcome, welcoming uh, any sort of audience interaction. So, uh, all right. So let's go ahead and wrap this one up, folks. Um, I guess uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, everybody stay positive. Uh-huh. Huh? What? I um, assume that the guest doesn't know. Yeah. Unless we do it in unison. <laughs> no, no I, I I had it on mute, and I, I was actually I, I was actually even saying it, but you know, um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, and shoot some cool fog photos, film fog photos, fog <laughs> fog, fog film photos, fogged film fog. photos. <laughs> Perfect. All right, folks. Thanks for thanks for listening, and we will see you soon. We'll see ya. See ya. episode of just M speaking with different stereotypical British accents. <laughs> so so if I go if I go to an English household and they yeah. they're gonna they're gonna make me a cuppa, uh what 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 would what would I get? What 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 kind of tea would I get? Would there be any sugar in it or is it just straight straight tea or what what's a what's the traditional English tea okay. that would be served? Right. So um historically so if we're talking post world war 2 up until the uh, up until the 90s let's say you go to someone's house and they say do you fancy a cuppa um normally you'd get um a, a couple of cups of tea or a couple of tea cups um on a tray with a teapot um mm-hmm. and a separate uh, a separate a separate um uh, kind of tiny little milk jug and uh, sugar cubes, or just just a pot of sugar, and you just do it yourself. Okay. So that, that so, you, so if, you're, if, if you're going to someone's house and you're, you're it's sitting loose down, tea, right? Talking, uh, normally, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, again, people people just move to tea bags because they're they're more convenient. More more recently, over the last 20, 20 years or so, it's more a case of you you probably just go straight into the kitchen. And then just have a chat while someone just boils a kettle and then puts the tea, asks you if you want one lump or two of sugar. Um, and <clears throat> you just drink them out of big fat builder's mugs. Um, <laughs> typical. So, so typically. Yeah, I, oh, wait, hold on. What I what? like is actually what? what's called like a builder's tea. Which what is, is a builder's mug? Double I'm strength like... with uh, yeah. a bunch of sugar and a bunch of milk. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... Uh, it, it, a lot of a lot of British cuisine, um, like 
uh, Cornish pasties and um, ploughmen's lunches and uh, full English breakfasts. They're geared towards uh, manual workers, manual labourers, um, where you're probably only having two meals a day. So you wake up in the morning, you'll have nice, really strong cup of tea. So your builder's tea is, uh, you know, two tea bags, uh, double strength, double sweet with with milk. No cream, by the way, in milk, in, in, mm-hmm. in tea. Um, and you'll, you'll probably have a, a breakfast that is sitting somewhere in, in the region of about two and a half to maybe 3,000 calories. <laughs> so this is a, I like this. This is a, work, a working man's tea. So you could almost say like a union, a union tea, union man's tea, any, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, any, any tea, any tea within reason or any... Um, uh, traditional black tea could be turned into a builder's tea. You just you just make it nice and nice and thick. Typically, what what will uh, a, a breakfast blend? Well, breakfast tea is just a blend of like um, some Assam tea. Maybe there's some Ceylon tea in there as well. Uh, you might have a touch of Earl Grey or a touch of chamomile just to give it a a, a bit of a, a nice smell. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're you're looking at creating a tea that's going to going to have a color that's that's kind of like a light caramel that that okay. kind of thickness um that that's the closest approximation it, essentially the tea ends up looking gold ah, i see because um, there's because there, there's so much stuff in there um one thing that you never do if you get invited to an english person's house is ask for milk if they serve you earl grey um <laughs> because you just don't add milk to earl grey tea oh okay, I, so I know I a few know people who I know, I know a few few people. They'll add um, maybe a teaspoon of full fat milk to it, mm. um, but typically because it's very um, uh, fragrant tea, um, yeah. If you add milk to it, it kind of and it's quite weak as well, so you don't don't really add too much to it. I see. Yeah, well, I, I, I was talking to somebody and another, I can't remember, it was another American about drinking tea, uh, like, you know, not sweet tea, like we love sweet iced tea, like we love here, but, but. Yeah, but, you uh, cannot call that tea. <laughs> yes, you can. But, uh, but, completely different. <laughs> but, but uh, like, as far as like an actual proper cup of tea, I always told, like I, I mentioned it that, yeah, I love to put a little sugar in there, a little milk and they're like, milk and tea. Oh, that's disgusting. And I, I don't know, like, they, it was like such an alien thing that they'd never even even thought that milk should go in tea. And uh, it, it, yeah, it was just... really does depend. It really does depend. I mean, if you want to try an English tea, um, I'd recommend either get yourself uh, a PG Tips, uh, which is very generic um, and, and very drinkable. That's kind of your, your kind of quaffable wine equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, get a PG Tips, get a... Tetley, which is uh, slightly northern, so it's a little bit oh, stronger. Oh, oh, well, see, there's a, yep. there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, there was a commercial, and I, I mentioned uh, before on a uh, maybe it was, it was a two hundredth episode. I, I, met, I, met, I remember all the commercial jingles of my lifetime, and Tetley yeah. tea used to have time out for tiny little tea leaves and Tetley yeah. tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's oh, you, you could try, you could try. Uh, there, there's one brand. It's just called Yorkshire tea. Um, and then there's, there's tailors of, of Harrogate as well. Um, and they're, they're all decent kind of tea bag brands. Um, Twinings is, a, a, a used to be a very, very upmarket, uh, English tea from, from London and they do all sorts of different, um, flavors as well. So they've got all, all kinds of, uh, fruit teas and, and 
herbal teas and stuff like that. But right. but yeah, I know I know that you guys can you can buy Tetley and, and PG tips. That those okay. are kind of the staples really of uh, of uh, of English tea. Um, and if you want to make a, a a decent cup, so um, you want want to boil freshly drawn water. So you don't mm. want any of that been sitting in the kettle already been boiled once. So you want freshly right. drawn, freshly boiled water, 100, 100 degrees. Um, now you can pour a little bit of water into um, a mug and then put the tea bag and then add more water. Or you can just drop the water straight into, uh, straight into a dry mug. Um, <clears throat> you want about uh, two thirds. Uh, so if you're using one tea bag, you just want two thirds uh, water and then let that stoop or steep for around about two to three minutes. Um, add the milk, <clears throat> then squeeze the tea bag out and, and put it out. So that, that's a normal cup of tea for me. Wow. Um, if you want to build this, if you want to build this tea, then you put two tea bags in <clears throat> and you want uh, um, half, about half a cup of water. And you want to leave that in for, for kind of three, four, maybe five minutes, really let it stew right. and top up the rest with full fat milk. If you're not using full fat milk, <laughs> you're doing it. Nice. It's what, what we in the UK used to call gold top. So we had gold, silver, red, and blue. And gold was full fat. Silver was half fat. Uh, red was just pasteurized. And then we had blue was uh, semi-skimmed. And I believe we had a yellow or a white one, which was skimmed milk, which was essentially okay. like a pint of water with like three <laughs> drops of full fat milk. <laughs> I mean, it's just horrible. Just, just like drinking piss. Basically. So, you guys, this is basically the hypersensitive photographer's podcast by now. <laughs> this is what it's turned into. This is what it's turned into. But I'll be honest with you, I learned something here. And uh, I actually am recording this segment because I'm going to put this at the end of the show so people know how to make a proper cup of English tea. But <laughs> I guess we should stop this recording and, and stop and stop teabagging this uh, this uh, this conversation. <laughs> hey, look, it, 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 it depends. The, the great thing about the great thing about the English is that everyone from every town um, has their own way of making tea. The only the only widely accepted. Um, completely incorrect method of making tea is putting the bloody milk in first. Oh, and okay. so there are some heathens out there. They will put <laughs> dash of milk, then they'll add a tea bag, and then they'll put the hot water in. And it's like, oh my, what are you doing? They, they, I mean, these people are essentially, they are the anarchists of tea making society, and they should be ostracized. Period. Uh, I, I wonder if some of like the, the aromatic compounds in the tea leaves are are fat soluble more than they are water soluble, because then hot milk would actually do better. Do you do you do you have straws where you are? Um, <laughs> yes. Can you stop clutching at them? It's just wrong. <laughs> okay, it's just wrong. We just need to accept this. It's wrong. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be done. It shouldn't happen. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we should be teaching in in schools in the UK. But uh, sadly, that particular part of the curriculum hasn't uh, hasn't quite made it through Ofsted. So there you go. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, enough, yeah. enough of enough of trying to trying to make your podcast like my podcast. You could get onto something that's actually yeah, reasonable, sensible, and of value to listeners. Because I also assume that you 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 have some work to do today on this Monday. <laughs> no, it's it's a, it's holiday. Oh right, that's um, I, right. I've, I've got the entire week off, so uh, sadly, I'm I'm here for the duration. 
Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. And we'll, we'll, we're going to, we're going to have to uh, make sure you stop teabagging our, our, our podcast here and uh, uh, let's get to the real recording. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me that your dentist appointment was at uh, two thirty. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I wish it was, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've no, actually got a- no, you didn't get it, Mike. Oh, what? Uh, tooth hurty. Tooth I got myself into a trap years ago uh, <laughs> working with a guy, and I was like, dude, I've got an appointment today at 2.30. Uh, at, uh, at got to go to the dentist. And he's like, are you in pain? I was like, uh, a little bit, just discomfort. He's like, so your, your tooth isn't hurty? And I was like, oh fuck, I got it. Okay. So, <laughs> so 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 yeah, any any opportunity I have now, my dentist appointments are nearly always at 2.30. <laughs> well, it's now entered my lexicon. A gutter man cave production. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>